You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Welcome everyone. Welcome back to the Road to Wisdom podcast. Today we have Nick Scarlian and Nick is a, can I say former pediatrician or are you still uh, working under the banner of? Yeah, I was never actually fully finished my training as a pediatrician, but pediatric doctor. Pediatric doctor. Yeah, let's say former. Yeah. All right. Well, Nick did study pediatrics and you were in that realm of the allopathic medical system when you woke up (laughs) can we say that i don't think we should say that because it makes us sound like those people oh okay well like when you started to see things (laughs) enlightened himself yeah no that's still the same but i think i think the main thing we're getting at is that you like when I met you, Nick. You were very much entrenched in that in the allopathic system, which comes with a whole bunch of mindsets that I myself was in um, at a stage. And and I think when you're working within the hospital system, especially, um, you do start to see things or even just experience things that come up as red flags. And this may not have been what happened for you but it's definitely what happened for me I would experience something and it was generally the care that was being provided to a patient and it didn't feel right and you don't say anything because like for me I was a student and I was there to learn um but you could see that maybe it was being going like the care they were receiving was incorrect insufficient wrong potentially abusive um and those are the little it's and bits that kind of woke me up to allopathic care in general. Um, yeah, so we thought we'd get you in here today because what you're doing now is having moved away from the allopathic system is, um, is probably helping people still. Mm. You're probably seeing a lot of um, healing and... I'm just putting words in your mouth, so please stop me at yeah. any stage. <laughs> no, yeah, I feel like I should explain what I'm doing now, <laughs> um, which is a, a bit of a mixed bag. And, mm. yeah, I feel like maybe the direction we can go is I can share a bit of what I'm doing now and then how I ended up here through the yeah. Western medical system and talk to what you were just you know, speaking to about the shortcomings of, of that system. Um, yeah, but... Most of my work now, I call it psychotherapy and, and that's just a name, but it's it's emotional, psycho, spiritual work basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the main way I work is with a system called internal family systems, which is a model of psychotherapy that's super beautiful, really um, respectful to to a person and all their parts, really welcoming, non-pathologizing and this is a big shift away from the medical system where it's like all these labels, especially for mental health thrown out, ADHD, people, autism, mm-hmm. people become really identified with labels. Yeah. And in this system there's like mm-mm, there's no such thing as there's something wrong. Yeah, there's nothing wrong. When anyone comes to me there's nothing wrong. There's just many parts of them which have been shunned or hidden away or thought to be wrong and it's about bringing them all into our loving awareness, mm. which is which is an incredible healing portal that we all carry with us. And, yeah, I also work with Chinese medicine and acupuncture. But, yeah, most people are coming for the internal family systems so, and um, that's the work I'm really loving at the moment as well. Amazing. Internal family systems is a new term for me. So, okay, yeah, um, yeah if, if maybe you could explain yeah. a little bit further. Is there another modality of healing that it's it can kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's a type of um, healing that can be called parts work. Mm-hmm. And so the foundational concept is that our psyche or our beings are made up of all these different parts. And 
people often experience them when when there's two parts in conflict or having who have different perspectives on something like mm. oh there's a part of me that really loved working in pediatrics and yep. really wanted to stay because I felt the satisfaction of helping people and being there for kids and being there for families and supporting mums and dads and kids to be well mm-hmm. and to live better healthier lifestyles and then there was another part of me that was fuck can I swear yeah you can say <laughs> that was exhausted and that was uh, and that had a lot of issues with some parts of that system and those parts were in conflict for a while mm. and so that's just an example of different parts of us that have different perspectives different agendas within and there's we've got heaps and heaps of parts and I think that's like such a relevant I guess topic to bring into our awareness because we all have like everything any bloody thing you look at in the world is nuanced and we love to see it as black and white and good guys and bad guys and you know I right now I love that we can look at and it's not just our internal health or our internal psyche but like you can extend that Mm -hmm. to any part of life. It is complicated. It's nuanced. We've got so many different things that we have to consider in absolutely anything we take on in life. So I love that that you can even pair that back or bring it back into Mm. your internal um, conflict and just – like how you think about anything. If you think black and white about anything, I've, it's a red flag. Yeah, totally. I'm there as well. And mm. like certainty is 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 quite confronting when people are really certain about something. I'm like, something's fishy there. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, my experience with my own journey with the internal family system is when I learn the way that I learn to navigate internal conflict and how to be with different parts of myself actually affects how I am externally with other people and all the different parts and stories and and helps me navigate conflict externally. Mm -hmm. And I really like wholeheartedly see, wholeheartedly see, yeah, Mm. I guess so, (laughs) Um, that, yeah, we can only do as much externally as we've done internally. We can only navigate conflicts externally that we've navigated internally. We can only face shadows externally that we've faced internally. Mm. and the external follows the internal most most of the time of course there's environmental influences and it's not it's not Mm. one unidirectional there's Mm. enmeshment and um, influence in both directions but and the other side of it is that the internal work is really what we've got most ability to do yeah we've got less power to affect the external than we have to affect our internal Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> back to IFS. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to frame that that's a massive paradigm shift in, in the field of psychiatry, psychology, because 20 years ago, if someone said, I had a voice that's telling me this and I have another voice that's telling me that, they'd be diagnosed schizophrenic. <laughs> yeah, bonkers. <laughs> yeah. And the truth is we all, we all have those different voices mm. and those different parts. And there's many different modalities that have popped up simultaneously and I really see it as a global paradigm shift in how we're understanding our minds and our internal worlds. It's like, oh, and I share with people and there's instant resonance. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and of course we also know that there's many parts of ourselves that we don't like or that society has told us not to like and to put away and to pretend that they're not there. Mm. And the deepest work is to get them out of the dark and tell them that they're loved and listen to what they've got to say and tell them that they're welcome, which is another huge paradigm shift in just like all parts of me can be welcomed and loved. It's like, oh, yeah, even those parts that my parents and society and generations of stories have told me that's yucky and mm. icky and mm. it's like, oh, no, I can love that too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's, it's deep work and it's, it's, there's very much intergenerational work in, in the IFS model. And, yeah, I, I've also seen clients with physical symptoms that we do 
IFS work and the physical symptoms resolve. Okay, this is really sounding like the conversation <laughs> we've just had, <laughs> but looking at it with a different lens. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is crazy to me, but it's crazy that like I've been I've been in the same room as a pediatric, pediatric doctor before, and it, this ain't it. Like, how did, <laughs> how did you? I'm just so curious. I just want to go there straight yeah, away. How on earth did you go from the person that I would generalize to be? that person, a paediatric doctor entrenched in allopathic medicine with those values, thoughts, that direction to like the guy who's like, your icky bits matter. <laughs> you should love your jealousy yeah. or your yeah. bullshit or like yeah. talk us through or it. Or your shame. Yeah. 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 Well, I was never, I, I was always a, a black sheep, <laughs> <laughs> even within, even within medical, you know, in my family starting off and then in medic in school in high school um medical school even working as a doctor people were like your your ideas the way you see things is just a bit weird and it's like it doesn't i never felt like ah i'm with my people everyone gets me and there were lots of lots of things that i i hid and didn't even share like lots of really important parts of my life that my colleagues and even friends and peers at medical school had no idea about. Um, so, yeah, I can understand that I, I, I don't fit the mold of, of your experience <laughs> of a pediatric of a pediatrician, and and that and that was you know that was an important part of of my decision to move away from it because I looked at at. Um, some of the more senior, older pediatric doctors and their lifestyles and how they were with their families and how they were in the workplace. And I was like, no, I can't see myself there in mm. 10 or 20 years. It's like, no, that's not really how I want to be living. That's not how I want to be feeling. And, yeah, so that, you know, that, that's, that was a signpost, that, that feeling of like, I'm not, I'm not like these people in a lot of ways. And there were some ways that I was, you know. Um, scientific and and wanting to help people and right so you were like respectful and interested and totally trusting in like the scientific yeah. aspect of becoming that walking that path and you know the thing that I'm always really fascinated with and you know like we've we and you and I we've all been in an argument with a professional a medical professional about what we think is right whether it's about body vaccines, some medicine or whatever. Oh, I don't get in arguments. With <laughs> I just go, yes, yes, yes. You're no, right. You're I right, am you're right. the person walk away and do whatever I want. Until I am like <laughs> beat and bruised. But like there's obviously a part of those people who are just really deeply wanting to be there to help and they mm. genuinely believe that they're doing God's work and healing and they are just so totally. important and necessary and totally. so i'm assuming that you honestly and genuinely believed that this way of living and healing was yeah it. totally totally and yeah there's beautiful people working in in those fields like wow mm. dedicated caring hearts you know amazing people and 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 I still think there there are parts of medicine that that are super helpful and mm. gold and and I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, <laughs> Sometimes we turn a phrase for a pediatric doctor. Yeah, I have We do keep the baby. Yeah, yeah, um. And, and even the scientific process of like testing and experimenting and trying and following intuition, and, you know, the scientific process in its purest form is incredible. It's just a curiosity. It's following curi mm. human curiosity and intuition. And, and then I see it's being so corrupted by the pharmaceutical industry and that's the main, that's the main problem. And it's almost, I'm guessing, impossible for these good-hearted people to look at it and be like, hang on, 
there's a discrepancy here or I know better. Like, is there, are they, are they getting there? Do you feel, or is it just like, I mean, people know, people know there's all, all of them know that there's issues with the pharmaceutical industry running the show. And, uh, and if they didn't with like the onslaught of docu, docu series and new <laughs> yeah. movies out on Netflix and, so who pulls, and stuff. how does it continue to, go the way it is like because I've been in a situation where I've had a baby in a hospital and like if so many people know about it and I've actually had experiences with the people like oh I just I know this is a lot and I know you know this is annoying and I know you're that natural mom we've written on on the whiteboard but I'm like yeah but why like why you have you been in here six times asking me to give my baby vitamin k if you know like Mm. what drives the force like is it a threat? Fear, mostly. Fear and yeah. threat. Fear, fear is such a big driving force in those situations. Fear that something's going to go wrong. You know, uh, fear that they're going to be blamed for something going wrong and fear of losing their jobs and, mm. and losing the respect of their peers and not belonging. Like it's so deep. Mm. And I, I, I think most of them aren't even aware of, of those fears making helping them to make this unconscious and yeah. I, think, I think too which is a really bizarre thing that has happened within that system is that if your kids got the vitamin k shot and something goes wrong they're all good yeah. like in your mind well i did everything but if the kid doesn't have a vitamin k shot and something goes wrong same thing could go wrong then that's that's one box you didn't tick and because you didn't tick it well, that could then fall on you. Mm. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, I, that's how it's I like, totally get that. Does, it's almost – It's a trap. I, yeah, but it's not – I don't know if it's that's the intention, but no. it's definitely mm. part of what holds like these mindsets so strong on like we mm. must tick every box. I must know her dilation during – Yeah. I mean, like, like I, the reality is doctors get sued. Mm. Yeah. And that, you know, that – impacts on their career on Society. their family mm. you know if, if a doctor gets sued that's a huge yeah traumatic process to go through let alone the financial impacts and and that's what happens if they do something that's outside of the protocols or the evidence base and they're they're held responsible for not towing the line can i correct you there because evidence base it depends on the evidence base, right? Because yeah, a, a doctor certain, could do something. Ev- if they don't follow the certain... The guidelines the, within the hospital system that's well, holding them. I think the phrase is actually what the what the majority of doctors would do in that situation. If they do something outside of what the majority of doctors would choose, then mm-hmm. they're negligent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that holds hostage doctors from doing anything really radical unless they're like a super niche like a surgeon expert. or something and they have to make a call that would be like they're the only ones that probably will ever make the call type thing yeah if they've got heaps mm. of experience in one super niche area and they're like they have far more experience than most doctors on the planet then that then those people can you know run their own show but that's rare that's rare mm. and but and even in that case like i what comes to mind is Charlie Teo and yeah, he, he was he, gets he got hammered. slaughtered. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and he was very niched. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah you've yeah, yeah, it's it's a big story. And, you know, I've heard I've heard in the children's hospital in Sydney that some of the highest doctors sitting in a meeting being like the pharmaceutical companies are holding us hostage. That was their exact words regarding, you know, these life-saving cancer treatments for kids that the, do- the pharmaceutical companies were charging hundreds of thousands of dollars for. And the hospital's like, well, the government's not funding it. Most of the patients can't afford this. We know this can save this kid's life. What do we do? And, it's, and, that, and that's... That's what the pharmaceutical companies do. They're billion-dollar companies. They're just about profit mm. and they're the ones doing most of the research that's being used and it's like, oh. but if you can't trust that, what do you, you know, for most doctors it's like, okay, if everything I've been leaning on and trusting is corrupted, 
what is real? What do I and know? What is the truth? You know, I've I've spent twenty years pretending I know this, and now that I'm really seeing that it's all, it could be all bogus. It's like, yeah, there's no the whole foundation becomes wobbly and shaky, and it's a massive earthquake. So, and from a psycho uh, psychological standpoint, I feel like, and I'm just completely making this up, that only a small, very few people would probably have the courage to be like, this doesn't feel right. Mm. And I'm actually just going to sidestep here and I'm actually just going to say fuck it to the 10 years of plus study that I did and the tens of thousands of dollars this might have, hundreds of thousands of dollars this cost and the fact that I'm maybe 40 and wouldn't even know where to reroute from this point. I'm totally. just going to keep going. Totally. And the financial stability is mm. a piece. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, if I keep going in this, then my family's well supported. I can live in probably my own house. I can, you know, live the lifestyle that I want to live. And if I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to make money. I don't know, you know, mm. there's no financial security by stepping out of what's known. I wonder if that's why a lot of doctors in that type of setting will meet a person who has questions or concerns with the protocol that they're putting in place with like frustration or anger. Because I know there's many times mm. where I've gone head on with like the top doctor and like Nico, I've done it twice now and they're just fucking angry at me. They're furious. They're like, like they know they're not getting to me, but they're, it's, I wonder if it's because they know that maybe, I don't know, like maybe there is another wave and they can't take it or maybe that they have to admit that the, stupid mommy's right maybe or like okay we'll just settle it there or yeah it's hard to I don't know. know I think it probably a little bit different for every individual yeah um and their experiences you know they've yeah. all had lots of experiences they've seen a lot of shit as well they've seen they've seen hectic stuff yeah yeah and and that, so much nuance I suppose and, to and that it's, as so well. he- it's heavy as well yeah. seeing babies die and especially you know the head of NICU when you're you're responsible yeah like, you're making the calls whoosh that's, that's a lot. That's mm. heavy. That's heavy on the heart. Mm. And yeah, and it's hard to, I, I reckon most of them have a lot of trouble actually feeling. Mm. Well, you'd have to numb out at some stage. Yeah, and that's what I feel like it. with. It's protection. With the surgeons as well. Like you, they're like, you have to be a sociopath to an extent <laughs> to be able to do that day in and day mm. out, like cut people open and play with their organs and like. And the expectation is you do a good job and the person survives. And if you don't, well, yeah. you failed. But like you, like you've got to know going into it every single time, I, I could fail at this. Yeah. So like there'd have to be some. There's like some level where you do actually have to be detached and a little deranged to be able to be in those. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like because yeah. the reality is you're in a hospital. People are gonna die. Like there's like mm. there's no like unless you're working with broken arms day in and day out and you're just like i don't know realigning bones like the, which yeah but even them <laughs> but they have like 80 year old grandmas that come in and break yeah. with a broken yeah. hip and they try and fix the hip and then the grandma dies in hospital because the anesthetic and yeah. being off their, all the things so yeah so i guess in any scenario you're like you've got to accept that you're working in an environment where people are dying and you i don't think that anyone like it, it almost wouldn't be human to be able to be in that situation day in and day out and feel the grief of every patient's family and feel the grief of the loss of every human that would move on in that scenario. And oh, it's yeah, it's, it's and when they wouldn't be able to function, especially it? like at the hours that most doctors are working and yeah. how they've got to show up day in day. Out. It's like no, there's and no then, time to process. And then I think to correct me if I'm wrong. And I'll probably get this wrong. But I think it's that allopathic medical care is the top three killer. Like in – I think that's maybe in the United States. But it's like it's like heart disease, cancer, and then allopathic care. <laughs> like Night shift. Mm. Is it just uh- – no, 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 not like, being in it. Like you will die from oh, medical care. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mistakes from medical care. Yeah, okay, kill, yeah, yeah, yeah. But not even people. mistakes. Like yeah. like people, like proper prescriptions, like yeah. actual, like mm. the doing the right thing as a doctor, You like, yeah, if you're in that like system of care, that's the top three killer in the United States. So. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I 
And, you know, the other side of it is that in Australia we have like a very amazing medical care system mm. compared to many places in the world. And there's and there's I still see that and I'm like, wow. And globally, yeah, we've got one of the best medical systems mm. and access to these incredible technologies that can be super helpful in at, at some times. And still <laughs> there's major issues and over over diagnosis, over treatment, mm. over over everything mm. because of the issues we've been talking about. So it's again, it's not black and white. I'm like, I don't, I don't say that whole system's wrong yeah. and bad. And you know, part of my move away was that I've had a lot of different experiences and and studied different things throughout my life, and I just felt there's actually more for me to offer than just following that standard route and. You know, that space, there's heaps of people that can study paediatrics. Like there are. There are mm. hundreds of people every year that are studying paediatrics and they'll all go on and be the paediatricians. But, you know, my unique experiences and my unique um, permutation of like gra mm. grabbing from so many dis different traditions and wisdom, wells of wisdom mm. and practices gives me a really unique opportunity to offer something that not mm. many other people can offer. So just to paint the picture more clearly for people who don't know you and I don't know you either. Yeah. But like who were you as a person? Were you like a person who would like get sick and be like, all right, allopathic, like let's go. Or like were you, yes, you know, so these are medicines that I truly believe in that you need right now to patients and um, like that was your mindset or you kind of like, oh, I wish I could offer this person acupuncture or like I wish I could, you know, like have you tried this or have you tried that or was it kind mm. of, were you, where <laughs> were you? Have you looked at the emotional root cause of your cancer? <laughs> <laughs> what happened to you 29 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Nah, uh, yeah, so I grew up in a household where we were, well, me and my brother and sister were fully vaccinated and we, we'd go to the GP when we got sick and I didn't get sick much. I've probably been to the GP a handful of times in my life. And then at age 15, my my mum started doing yoga and she's like, you should start doing yoga. And I was like a rugby player and I had a sore lower back. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll try yoga. And I started doing yoga from age 15. And I also went on a school trip to my school, like private boys' school in Sydney, offered a school trip to Nepal. And I went to Nepal and something about mm. the culture in Nepal and visiting Buddhist temples and monasteries. I was just like, whoosh, mm. landed really strong. And I kept doing yoga and then at age 19 went to India for three months and, and at age 20, 21, did my first... 10-day Vipassana Oh, my God. Meditation. I did that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this was in, in Blue Mountains oh. in Australia. <laughs> well, Varanasi. A bit different than Blue Mountains. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The food was probably better in Varanasi. Yeah. Oh. Well, I had like literally slept on this table with nothing else. So it was the full experience. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. So that was at like age 20, 21 and, and I just kept getting called to different – I st started – working with plant medicines at age 22 and really did that intensely for seven years. And this is all while studying medicine. And I remember some mentors and teachers being like, are you actually going to finish your medicine like, studies? Are you, are, are you serious? <laughs> are you actually? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to finish them. And I did. And I just kept going. And yeah, I really had a dream of um, contributing to a shift in the medical system and bringing like a really holistic well resourced from different traditions offering to mainstream medical practice and and yeah i was even when i moved up to the northern rivers could imagine setting up a pediatric clinic in mullumbimby where i could offer chinese medicine and acupuncture and emotional mm. psychotherapy for kids and also offer blood tests and government funded treatments if that's and herbal remedies you know which doesn't really exist. Mm. You know, there's no pediatric practice that that is really holistic, integrative. And so 
I was kind of working with that vision as well and that was keeping keeping me in the door and then and then I was the covid vaccine happened <laughs> <laughs> Don't Don't fuck us all. <laughs> yeah and I I was pretty much one of the first doctors affected because they closed the border between Queensland and, Vic- and New South Wales unless you're vaccinated and I was working at Gold Coast Hospital living in New South Wales so I literally couldn't go to work unless I got vaccinated and no everyone else working in the hospital wasn't mandated yet and I was like it's it's just me it like they're literally and they're like oh you can't come to work why didn't you just get the COVID vaccine <laughs> <laughs> um, I know why you didn't but I'm just asking because it's Makes for juicy content. Yeah. And, you <laughs> this know, will be the lead, real. <laughs> I'll wind back because at the beginning of COVID, my partner was like, they're going to mandate it for everyone. And I'm like, no way. There's no way they can do that. This is experimental mRNA. It's a whole new, a whole new way of delivering vaccines. There's no way they could force people to get it. And then I was one of the first that they did. <laughs> and I was just like, my whole world was shattered. I, I couldn't believe that that actually. Okay, so you were that on me. Were you a skeptic prior to this? Oh, can I tell a story? <laughs> because when I first met Nick, he was like, "So why don't you vaccinate your children?" And I think I gave you a really vanilla answer, but it was <laughs> Do like, I wanna? I am, yeah. <laughs> "No, I think it was more like along the lines of, well, 'Well, I'm vaccine damaged, and it's affected me.'" in an autoimmune mm, way yeah, yeah, um, and and I I feel like that was the cause of that and I do and until I know more information I don't want to put that Thank on my children mm. yeah and you're like okay that makes sense um, but you you we have a mutual friend who I think you argued with, with a lot I lived with oh. for a month <laughs> and we just we just loved debating with each other I mean there was a part of me that loved it but it was really kind of got pretty heated we're living in the same house. <laughs> you were living in her house. I was, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I, she was kindly putting me up for a month while I moved to the Northern Rivers and and we'd just go tooth and okay, nail. Okay, so you were not sceptic then? I mean, I was open to, to, open to learning and mm. discovering, but I was still... On I, the other I, side. So not, a, not only had I studied medicine, I'd done a Master's of Public Health which mm, <laughs> there you go nail it in yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which yeah yeah I, so I was like deeply indoctrinated in one perspective you know it's I remember just, studying public health and in my health science degree to be a naturopath and I was like oh yeah everyone's got to do the same thing in order for the thing to be working and yeah. it's like the community's responsibility yeah or and die that's, and that's it <laughs> no. it's like yeah 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 it's it's an obligation for the global community mm-hmm. and it's especially... You have to do your parts. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, you know... And your even, part is vaccinating your children, by the way, because yeah. uh, what is it? It's still like, what, 70% of adults would not be up to date with the current sh- yeah, like vaccine yeah. scheme. But, and so you as a parent, most parents that vaccinate their kids would not be up to date and not actually be, um, mm. what is it? find the word for me someone up to date <laughs> up to date yeah but like immune like have that immune oh, response the immune, immunity. yeah have the immunity from vaccination <laughs> but doing your part was making sure that you mm. did it to your children yeah which is yeah and i landed in the perspective when i when i met my partner she's she wasn't vaccinated as a child <laughs> and lucky girl not i think she had a few early ones but then then her mother decided not to mm when they were like three or four or five or something. And she was, when I met her, she's like, there's no way I'm ever vaccinating my child. <laughs> <laughs> Who is like, your girlfriend? Oh. <laughs> she's amazing. Let's be friends. <laughs> yeah. And so that was like, and you know, at that point I'd landed in the perspective, and this was just before COVID, I'd landed at in a perspective of, yes, it's, it's probably if, if there's a child who's not living in a crowded city, who's connected to nature, who has a healthy diet, who has loving parents who give them a lot of attention and emotional support, then yes, they probably don't need to be vaccinated. But still, from a global perspective, most kids aren't growing up in that situation. 
and that vaccines and that, you know, the, I guess the public health model was still alive for me at that time mm-hmm. and that there was a responsibility. For everyone else to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that you could choose between like looking after your kid or looking after the global community. Mm. Yeah. And that I really saw that as a clear decision. I was like, okay, yeah, I can choose to look after my kid. And given that all those things are happening, which is, you know, where where I think the other part is that we live in a very, we're blessed and privileged to be living the way we do. Mm. All three of us, I'm talking. And um, to be able to support our children and have the, this environment, it's it's really amazing. And it's a very small minority in the world that... that offer them this opportunity, offer their kids this opportunity and I'm under no illusions about that and and so it's it's really unique and Western medicine doesn't consider those different factors really. It's a broad stroke for all kids because it's too, it's too time-consuming, it's too hard it's to, to really find out <laughs> from every individual that comes whether they actually would benefit or be harmed more by the vaccine yeah so it's all done on population data like huge numbers where there's so much variation you know Mm. the data that we're going by is data related to kids in china and africa and america and like kids living in poverty it's like of course it's a completely different situation and yeah, that's another one of the major issues. It's not really individualized, tailored, considered preventative yeah. medicine. Yeah, it's yeah, mm. and yeah. It, I mean, I think there's many systems, you know, that that are going that are trying to be globalized and made uniform for the whole global pop, and that doesn't work. It, mm. It's got us in the mess we're in now. And coming, and I mean, if we've seen it anywhere. The COVID vaccine is a really good example of that. Yeah, we completely we railroaded the conversation about why. Oh yeah. So oh, I'm yeah. bringing okay. it back. I'm bringing it back. <laughs> bring it back I to love yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't get to work, and you, you were like work definitely decided at that point that you weren't going to get the COVID vaccine. No, or pondering. No, I still. was just like, what do I do now? Okay. And I felt betrayed, mm. and shocked, and. Yeah, I was devastated. I was devastated because I thought I was a really good doctor <laughs> and I, I felt like not only could I, I, I was really like showing up and being with, with patients and I'd get feedback from, so, especially in the Northern Rivers where I was working, some, I was working at Tweed Heads Hospital and saw a lot of people from who lived in our community and people that I'd see in the streets and they were like, oh, my gosh, it's so good to have you here to see your face, to have your understanding of where I'm coming from and mm. and just be met like that when I go to the hospital. Mm. And that had me want to, to keep showing up in that way and want to be a paediatric doctor coming from that place and being able to understand their perspectives mm. and living in a, a similar community because there's not many doctors that are for mm. those people. And and then I was just like really got hit with the devastation of oh I've really got to choose here and and yeah my body didn't want it <laughs> and I honoured my body over my career potentially and um and what my peers thought of me and all the hours and money that I dedicated and all the financial security stories that were there and yeah it was hard I, I i was in deep grief once i made the decision once i just said no to them i was like crying and crying for days just not knowing <laughs> what was next and it was super beautiful as well because like i think the week of or the week after i told the hospital mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not getting it i'm not coming back um a man who I didn't really know but had heard about me and knew I offered meditation courses, which is another thing I offer. (laughs) He's like, can I meet with you? I want some mentoring or some support. I want to learn meditation. I want something from you. I was like, yeah, come come up. So he came over to our place and we said... Is this a doctor? No, 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 just just a a man in the community that that Mm -hmm. knew we had mutual friends. 
and he came up and we sat and we sat about talked about what he was looking for and out of that conversation i was like oh that's i i designed a 10 week a 12 week program mm. that involved so many different aspects of my life meditate it was meditation it was um ritual it was nature connection it, there was medicine work involved um herbal medicines movement qigong and i just designed this program which i never even thought of doing the guy who came to ask for it didn't even end up in the course but it ended up a, a, a kind of sounds like you were completely catapulted to exactly where you were meant to be and i was just like the the i, I live like on a cliff and i just had this <laughs> feeling that i jumped off the cliff and i just like all of a sudden mm. found these wings and I was fully being supported and I felt supported by so just people mm. and energies and life and it was just like, I was like, wow, I'm free. I can, mm. I can. Well, this is the true change that you were visualising that you could create, I suppose, and it's something to be said for someone who's willing to take that leap off the cliff and be like, fuck, this just really doesn't feel right. It's yeah. not the right thing. It's really wrong and yeah. I'm not going to do it because like that's what a leader does yeah. and like there was a lack of leadership especially with men being like yeah no mm. that's not right and I'm it, not going to do that I'd love to just like take it back to saying no to a COVID vaccine was so symbolic so it, not just of saving your own skin and I feel like most of our listeners would be in that boat of like no I'm not putting that poison in my body but it was such a it was such an important like step for people in those systems to take when they did and i'm talking about teachers at schools mm. doctors mm -hmm. therapists like what whatever it was because when we see people push back on something that is so clearly wrong and in the allopathic system not having a minimum of seven years of um, research behind it before it is taken to market, not having – like there, there were so many red flags with that one, like one preventative – is it a medication? Do we call it a medication? Can we class it as a medication? It's an experiment. An experimental. It's an experimental drug. It's an experimental drug and, you know – when a new drug comes to the market, generally it needs to have so many studies behind it, so many years of research. They need to repeat those studies. Like all of those that data points need to be met over and mm. over and over again. And they were pushing something, forcing it, when none of that was met. So, mm. I mean, just, you know, having like we really needed like a massive outcry of no, this is actually – yeah, and even like the amount of nurses that left had an impact, you know. Yeah. That there were the New South Wales health system was like we're short staffed. Yeah. They never said how many. I don't think they re really would have publicly said that no this one many came nurse, to work. Nurses <laughs> left because of the vaccine, but yeah. enough did to have an impact. I mean And it's it's really sad because what it did was also like within those systems it removed the somewhat conscious, like, critical thinkers, which I guess is what actually they're the people we need in there because critical thinking is so limited <laughs> within those systems. And, yeah, so, I mean, look, I mean, we'll but talk about that, that for forever. The, gift, <laughs> the flip side of the gift of the whole thing is that had people being like, oh, maybe I should take more responsibility for where I'm looking for this trusted health advice. Maybe I will do some different therapy or like totally. there's a big awakening yeah, to yeah. how we respond to symptoms, illness and, you know, managing ourselves. I think, you know, for me the size of the emotional response had me really question a lot and it's, it's like when it, become, it became so personal and it just brought the corruption to my front door basically. It's like, oh, mm. it's here. It's mm. affecting you right now, you know. And that, that, that was a di different level of being emotionally affected by it. it had me 
just see a lot more and choose differently. And I think, you know, the other thing I'm still discovering that there's like really well-respected professors, doctors that I'm still finding out never got the vaccine but somehow still kept working in the system. Then They don't really tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Some have told me because they, they know mm-hmm. of my story. But I wonder how many, you know, it's yeah. like... But then, like, mm. that's not as helpful. Like, I mean, it's yeah, like there's, there's, there's good and bad system, to that. Yeah. But but, so, it, yeah, good and, good that and, they're in the system because you want those people who are critical thinkers. Like, I feel like that was almost a sign of who, like, who a, a really trustworthy doctor was. <laughs> Is it someone who was, like, not jumping on board the next thing straight away? There was, like, a thought process there. So it's great that those people were still in the system but at the same time on a larger scale it's it reduced impact that yeah. it could have had on a and i like great, i have yeah. compassion like i imagine mm. if I, if i was hard. like 40 years into my career and like a world leader in my field it'd be pretty hard to step away from yeah it'd yeah. be a lot harder than it was for me at my stage yeah. where i was already i was already contemplating taking a year off from, from the Western medical system to offer more meditation and acupuncture and, and have time to pursue those things. So once you made the decision of like, okay, I'm done here and went through that whole morning process of like shit and also amazing because look what's in front of me, mm. was that like an instant, semi-instant, like relatively piled together time or was it like months after or were you kind of just like in this period of time no. where you were like, fuck? No, it was like a month later I was... In, in it, like just offering my course with 10 people and like seriously financially supported. And I was just like, wow, that was quick. Amazing. <laughs> and, and then it was like, it's been for the last two years, the question, am I going back? Um, you Can know. you go back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, because mandates aren't. Sorry, what? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I also. No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you got that communication. Yeah. Right? yeah. Bypass. The energy just. We can bypass that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not here to implicate people. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think something that we wanted to continue on with and also get from you because you're actually the first male guest we have had. In studio. In the flesh. In the flesh. Wow. I know, I know. Um, So you recently became a father, kind of recently. Yeah. 16 months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I guess with fatherhood and motherhood comes a lot more Mm. initiations, Mm -hmm. realizations. Mm -hmm. Like it's another bloody flip on your world. Mm. So I think we want to wanted to kind of talk through that a little bit and how mm. like yeah how that has further influenced the way you work mm. yeah massively um let's start with probably preconceived notions of fatherhood and then we can go yeah from there. and that's the main yeah i i expect it's similar to you know the identity dissolution and recreation that happens for mothers mm. and it's it's available to fathers <laughs> i think many fathers don't meet it you know i i think it's not it's not really talked about and there's there's not a lot of support for fathers to realize that this is a huge initiation and it's a possibility to step in a, into a whole new identity way of being way of knowing the world way of seeing the world and yeah i i felt unsupported Mm. through a lot of it i was like you know there's so many courses for pregnant mum for pregnant mummers for new mums there's mothers groups there's mothers like there's there's an abundance of choices right especially in this area yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and even online courses that are available to Mm. everyone there's lots of information to support uh, as there should be but there's not there's not much available for dads and that's something I've I've really been seeing and and feeling the call to offer as well. It's like, okay, what do dads need from the moment they find out they're pregnant? The practical knowledge, Mm. the practical support, but also 
the understanding of what what they're transitioning into, what what fatherhood means, working through all the their relationships to their own their, their dynamics with their own father and how how that shapes what they think a father is and how it shapes who what kind of father they think they're going to be mm. and how to consciously choose to be a certain father or 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 not but and uh, like i mean we talk about relationships quite a bit too and yeah. that would also flow into how it affects affects your relationship totally that's the, that's the biggest part i mean that's yeah. been the biggest part for me for, yeah entirely yeah, you know it's like wow what i thought a a, a parent like a a a a partner to a woman who's a mum, what what that is, mm-hmm. you know, the way I saw it modelled in my family and the way I see it modelled by the majority of society is actually not what Talia wants. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so how do I be everything that she wants me to be plus everything that I know I need to be plus everything that Tiger wants me to be as a father? It's a lot. <laughs> It's a lot. Why don't you know this? I mean, like, <laughs> come on. I know. And yeah. we've like we've discussed. Obviously, we've been having lots of conversations about being in the birth portal again, mm. and the way that we choose to birth, which is at home, and maybe with less assistance or whatever that is, and how, um, you know, for women in that position, we put a lot of pressure on our men mm. to be to be wearing so many hats mm. within a birth space, which is like such an incredible spiritual Mm. like just insane initiation every single time Mm. um and so yeah it's it's good to hear from dad which is is okay in the birth space you know it's like Mm. okay i can really there's a a defined there's a ceremony that i can really show up for in a big way yeah but it's when it's like okay postpartum Mm. it's like every day is the ceremony and i've got to show up in this big way for the rest of my life it's like wow that's confronting for a Mm. lot of men and the reality is some things have to to be let go of yeah and and that's when we need to lean on our community a whole lot more because if you're expecting your husband or partner to provide for the family as well as take on majority of the responsibility like for the other children. Mm. I mean, that's not your case yet. But, you know, in our situation and many women's situation, you're asking them to be on top of stuff that they probably wouldn't be day to day because mm. their sole responsibility is protection and providing. Mm. So now they have to kind of put on a mother hat as well and take care of the kids yep. so that you can rest and recover. And, and they or record your podcast episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Togar and Brenton. Um, awesome, that is. They're so good. Um, and and yeah, like like the pressure mounts, and yeah. these are all things that we just expect our partners to do and be silent about it because we just went through yeah. between any like anywhere from an hour to twenty six hours to a week of labour and. We need to recover and we need to rest and we've got the newborn, which is all valid. Mm, but at true. the same time, yeah, I guess that's where you need to. Yeah. And when we're not when we're not in the village, we're under-resourced, you know? Absolutely. And You only have so many hands. Well, from a father's perspective, like what's going on? Like what do you need? Like what's yeah. the... So the way I'm seeing it, you know, you look at the traditional, you know, probably I don't know about your families, but, you know, my dad was at work... Eh, he was an incredible provider mm. and but then I know my mum wanted more emotional presence and support and still does mm. and I would have liked more time. I got weekends with him which was amazing and I loved my time with my dad but, you know, it's like, oh, why did he only come home at 8 o'clock each night as I was getting in bed? Like couldn't we have had a few hours of playing together and rumbling, you know? And so if you look at that traditional role, Dad would go to work, he'd provide for the family, amazing, there'd be financial stability, but nothing, you know, safety, providing house, providing clothes, yeah, all the things. And now, so nothing has left the man's plate, but a whole lot of stuff's been added on. Mm-hmm. And 
we're still working out how to how to do it all you know because it, mm. it's there's there's not been a whole lot of modeling we're, we're in a new time where yeah men actually know what it is to emotionally support their children and their partners and show up and be present and listen and and engage feel. yeah yeah <laughs> feel like so many men for generations haven't deeply felt and so we don't have we don't have a roadmap. We're ma- kind of making it up as we go, mm. and just I, I I feel like just some understanding of how big that is for men in this time to be taking willing to step up and take on all that and to rewrite the map. And we need each other, you know. Men, you know, men need to find other fathers who are who are willing to take on all those extra things that haven't been done in previous generations. Who are willing to to lean on each other, you know, good uncles, you know, what does it mean to be a good uncle? Like how can I support my friend when he's on dad duties and how can we support each other? And yeah, I think just patience and compassion from from women that ah, this is this is a new challenge and it's going to take time for us to work out what we're doing and where we're going. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Have some grace is what I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and like I think all women can relate. Like if you if you need to pull it back into your own shoes, like how many households are women um, needing to go back to work really quickly so that, you know, they've got to wear that full-time mother hat mm. but then also help provide for the household because one wage doesn't really cut it anymore mm. for yeah. living expenses. So... Yeah, I guess we, you know, bringing it back to well, everyone's wearing lots of hats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's definitely yeah. our environments and society and culture and yeah. the ego that needs a bit of probably deflating. Like maybe I don't need that. Yeah. Maybe I don't need that either. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. we can minimize and simplify. Simplification, and you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our ancestors were pretty, pretty basic. Pretty happy with a and lot less. Happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and connected, mm. you know, which is the main one. It's like is this stuff actually contributing to our connection with each other and the earth and what we mm. – and to source and to our I life force? I often think that. It's like we're sometimes just flogging a dead horse, like, you know, just a simple trip to the supermarket and you've got like eco this, natural this, eco that, and you're like, well, cool, we could replace everything in this entire store with like eco mm-hmm. or like biodegradable. But it doesn't stop with the fact that it's going to make – more or less no impact because we're still buying the thing. We're still working our asses off to get to the thing that's actually just now more expensive because it's eco and biodegradable. But like it's actually removing the obstacles like mm. one thing at a time or removing the things that we think we constantly need to be having in the first place to create this, more, I think this bit more harmony mm. and like just the mental load and expecting the father to take on all of the roles and the mother role and the carer role because mama wants to go to work and yeah yeah to afford for all the unnecessary yeah. things that we think we need and want yeah i think mutual acknowledgement of mothers and fathers <laughs> that it's tough times well i look i bring it up because our conversations mainly revolve around mothers mm. and so you know and the overwhelm that comes from Mm. mothering and how how much pressure we feel on ourselves and I think as mothers we can get so caught up in what I have to do and what this is for me and like I mean this is probably where majority of the fights Mm. (laughs) or disagreements between me and Togga it's like you can't see all the things I'm doing you Mm. can't see how hard I'm working blah 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 Mm. and he's thinking the exact same shit Mm. (laughs) and like and if Mm. we can you know switch it around and be like okay if I feel like I'm taking on all these roles that traditionally you know my grandma has never worked a day in her life she had six kids she stayed home she cooked she cleaned she looked after the kids and then the grandkids and you know my grandpa's always been the sole provider for her so their roles are very you know and and they're defined Mm -hmm. and they were able to function and live an incredible life very happily within that system but that's that's we, we're in a different world, like as you said, where it's this new. But world I mean, like it's just biological norms, and then biologically adapting to like perhaps like men are much more simple, 
Like they are. You just are. <laughs> like my little boy is totally different to my three girls because oh, yeah. he just wants to be fed and go to sleep. Yeah, wait till he gets a little bigger, mate. No. <laughs> And <laughs> I will not wait. This is who he is. <laughs> he's very clear. Chill, chill head. It's very clear. This is who he is. Okay. Um, and I sometimes feel like, how many years, like decades, is it going to take for men to adapt and women to adapt? Or are we just kind of like just going like this? Like, mm. why don't we just, you know what I mean? Like, understand yeah. that there is a biological difference. Like, perhaps it's not totally. good for you to be around the kids all day. Like, I know it's not good for my partner to be around my kids like every day I mean like during the first trimester of this pregnancy I was like you got to cook clean there's a lot of laundry and I gotta go to like get dressed and go to school and you got to clean up and like I'm just gonna be over here and I just felt like he was happily like he did it and he's very good at it of handling the shit around the house but it didn't make him happy it didn't make (laughs) him thrive he didn't achieve any goals didn't wasn't like beaming and I just Mm. don't think that men Mm. Should do that because it doesn't make them well. Like I think testosterone doesn't increase there. <laughs> yeah, and we've had this conversation with many times. Doctor Jung, no, not Doctor John Gray, mm. but he, but yeah, he speaks to you know those traditional roles and how that supports hormonal function and balance. Totally. It works. Um, but again, I, d- I just don't think like like you said and I said already, we're just in a different world now where yeah we do actually need to step up and you know as as women like there's almost a feeling and I'm happy to admit for me as well like just being at home with kids I like I I want to express myself create creatively mm. out of that mother role which is this at mm. the moment um and and Togga doesn't just want to be providing and mm. and like protecting yes he has he has those roles but he also wants to be around the kids he also wants to be part of you know like go to their plays and see that you know so there's there's a a more of a mixing it's good to have an understanding of like biologically where we are thriving and what's going to support our nervous systems but then at the same time knowing the nuance of where we're at and how to meet those needs and new requirements. It's mm. big. It's yeah, puzzle, it's, hey? it's, it's nuanced, and I think, yeah, it, they're both true. They're mm. both true. Like I've noticed an estrogen surge since having a boy, and it's not great. <laughs> yeah. I have breasts yeah. since I've had a child. Man, <laughs> Don't know why. Man boobs yeah. are yeah. well and truly on their way. <laughs> um, Listen to our chat with John. Yeah, I will. He'll hit you up. But and also, you know, uh, for me, the biggest one is men. If they're, if they're feeling like the emotional aspect that, that men have been cut off from for a long time mm. is a huge one. Mm. Like whoosh, there's a whole whole new life and new, new way of connecting to themselves and to their partner and to their kids if they start feeling, you know. All right, everyone, we just lost, lost Chloe. She had to duck off but... Um think we can probably did you you have any final words before we no thanks for having me (laughs) well nick if people want to find you where Mm. can they oh and do you want to share like what you're offering at the moment yeah what am i offering at the moment for did you have a lot of local listeners yeah yeah so i'm just about to launch a six-week program for teenage boys which i'm super excited about oh yeah there's going to be kind of mindfulness and and um ritual and nature connection woven in that's not what we're telling the boys it's <laughs> like oh you're coming to do bush skills and adventuring and wrestling and and all the fun stuff that teenage boys want to do but yeah it's a lot about and emotional work yeah so yeah i'm offering that with uh, a dear brother who also works with young young men mm-hmm. and so that'll be near near Mullum. if you want to say the date because this will come out a little bit after our recording oh yeah so, so that'll could, be it could be out already n- it'll probably be starting around the 14th of november yeah okay so that will be out by the time this is released okay. check it out yeah. is it like can you sign up at in any stage yeah. or yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah i, th- I think it's going to be called uh wild hearts 
Wild Hearts. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see about the name, but that's that's what it's here at the moment. I have a really average website, <laughs> <laughs> but you can contact me through there. It's samadhitree.com.au. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, and we can link to that in the show notes too. Yeah. Yep. And um, I'll also – I'll give you my phone number that you can put in the show notes if people want to reach Are out. Are you sure you want to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Well yeah. – I love people contacting me on the phone. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's so much easier than e- – emails get lost. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. We might put that in the show notes. I'm going to have a chat with Nick offline. <laughs> no, thank you so much for coming Thanks, in, Michelle. Nick, because this has been a really eye-opening conversation and I think it is really good to see people's journeys from – And learnings from one system to the next system and how we can incorporate and integrate that into how we take on life and how we're um, helping people heal and how we can heal ourselves because we're all about taking responsibility Mm -hmm. for that and, um, yeah, empowering our parents. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your insights. To all the parents out there. Doing great. I know it's time. (laughs) Thanks, Kashia. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.